Welcome to the All Things Protest podcast. I'm your host, Rob Sneckenberg, joined by my co-host, Christian Kern, and a guest today, Liam O'Reilly, to discuss a recent Federal Circuit decision we've been tracking. Specifically, the decision issued in the past few weeks covers the Federal Circuit's blue and gold timeliness or waiver rule. Now, as brief background, when you're protesting a GAO, you're probably familiar that GAO's bid protest regulations specifically say, if you want to challenge a solicitation, you have to file your protest before the deadline for proposal submission. The Court of Federal Claims doesn't have that same regulatory or statutory rule. But in a 2007 decision called Blue and Gold Fleet, the Federal Circuit essentially created such a timeliness or waiver rule, saying that if you want to challenge a solicitation, you have to do so before proposal submission. And in subsequent decisions, the Federal Circuit and the Court of Federal Claims have extended that rule to most, if not all, pre-award situations. Liam, why don't you tell us how the recent Inserso decision fits into this analysis? Sure thing, Rob. The Inserso decision involved a Defense Information Systems Agency Encore 3 procurement, which is a multiple award IDIQ competition that was divided into separate pools for small businesses versus full and open competition. Offerors were permitted to compete in both pools if they wanted to, but in Cerso, the protester competed in just the small business pool. During the course of the procurement, the pace of the two different pools diverged, resulting in full and open competitors receiving award notices and debriefings before final proposal revisions were due in the small business pool. In Cerso, which didn't receive an award in the small business pool, discovered this divergence during its own debriefing and protested, alleging that those offerors who had competed in both pools and received a debriefing for the full and open competition received an unfair competitive advantage and were unequally treated relative to Inserso and other offerors exclusively in the small business pool. They went to first GAO, which denied the protest, then the Court of Federal Claims, which also ruled in favor of the government, finding that Inserso's concerns were legitimate, but it couldn't demonstrate that it had been prejudiced by any of the alleged disclosures. And so then appealed to the federal circuit, which relied on the blue and gold rule to rule that Inserso should have challenged the solicitation before the competition concluded because it knew or should have known that the government would disclose information to bidders in the full and open competition at the time of and shortly after the notification of awards. Applying blue and gold, the federal circuit determined that Inserso had waived its allegations vacated and remanded to the Court of Federal Claims to enter a judgment in accordance with blue and gold. There was a dissent, which interestingly questions the continuing validity of the blue and gold rule. But for the time being, that's still just a dissent and government contractors need to be keenly aware of blue and gold and these unique ways that it can apply. Thanks, Liam. It's a very helpful description. So there's a lot to unpack here. I guess let's start at the beginning. When specifically does the Federal Circuit think that Inserso should have protested so as not to be subject to the waiver rule? Thanks, Christian. The Federal Circuit identified a few different points in time when Inserso could have timely brought their protest, starting as early as November 2017 when the first awards were made in the full and open competition. The Federal Circuit doesn't explain how exactly Inserso was supposed to know about those awards, but determined that once they were made, Inserso could have predicted that debriefings were going to be given and would result in the disclosure of this information. Well, Liam, I mean, I think if I read the Federal Circuit's decision, 
It cites various FAR regulations about the specific timing of when unsuccessful offers have to be notified and how debriefings have to be made you know, as soon as practicable. And all those, all those regulations, of course, are on the books. But at the same time, I mean, we're talking about requiring in CERSO a small business offeror to protest based on the continuing and ongoing activities in a completely separate procurement. Is, is that right? Is that, is that what the Federal Circuit held? I certainly think that's one way to read the opinion. And in fact, that's something that the dissent criticizes the majority opinion for, is imposing what seems like potentially an undue burden on small businesses and other potential offerors to predict essentially every possible outcome to how a solicitation is structured, rather than starting from what the blue and gold rule had originally said, which is just patent or obvious solicitation errors as the ones that you need to challenge beforehand. So, Liam, this raises a really interesting issue if you're thinking about a GAO protest in this context. Based on how the decision is written, I'm not quite sure how or whether you could bring a protest at GAO, given that if Inserso was supposed to be on notice that the full and open awardees were debriefed and that I suppose that is maybe the triggering event for their clock at GAO. However, if they protested at GAO at that time saying that the other awardees have been debriefed, but they have no knowledge of actually what's in the debriefing, wouldn't that be dismissed as speculative based on GAO's rules? That's certainly a risk, and that's something that we'll keep an eye on how it plays out in subsequent protests, both at GAO and also at the Court of Federal Claims, which is going to have to unpack some of the implications of this decision. One thing that contractors and disappointed offerors might consider doing in these circumstances is simply bypassing GAO entirely to go to the court until they have more clarity on how these timing rules are going to apply. But that defeats the whole purpose of blue and gold. I mean, the original purpose was to not stall procurements. I mean, and, and, it's, and it's, blue and gold is a valid purpose. I mean, offerors shouldn't be allowed to wait until entirely after a procurement to challenge an error that was obvious on the face of the solicitation. But I mean, if we're going to be now requiring companies to file what might just turn out to be protective protest, we're increasing litigation burden, we're increasing you know, burden on the agencies to respond. It, it seems like this could, have, could potentially have some negative ramifications there. That's certainly true. The majority does point to one possible way around this, which is, of course, that you don't always have to litigate these questions. You do have the option of informally raising your concerns with the agency before you have to escalate to GAO or the court. Now, how receptive an agency might be to concerns that are arguably speculative remains to be seen, but there is that intermediary step that could help to alleviate some of that potential burden. So, Liam, it's still unclear to me, though, how an offeror would be put on notice such that their 10-day clock at GAO would start if they're not involved in the debriefing process in the full and open competition and otherwise are not entitled to any notice of award or any notice at all that that competition has moved on. Well, another sort of interesting wrinkle to this fact pattern is that there was actually a GAO protest in the full and open competition, which was published in around February 2018, denying that protest and mentioning in the public decision that there had been a series of debriefings, which the majority opinion noted could have and should have put in CERSO on notice. But 
unfortunately, because the court is really addressing its own blue and gold rule and not addressing GAO's timeliness rules, it doesn't clearly answer the question of how this principle is potentially going to apply at GAO moving forward. I suppose that is a good point, and it could be a limiting factor to this decision. At the end of the day, maybe this will be read as fact-specific, and the important blue and gold principle that you can't sit on your rights will be the real takeaway from this case. Liam, you mentioned there was a dissent. What was the basis for the dissent? Was it kind of along the lines that we were discussing, or did it branch out into other topics? So the dissent does discuss some of the potential roadblocks that we've already discussed with respect to how obvious were these potential outcomes, and is it really fair to expect offerors? Is it efficient for the judicial system? But as a threshold issue, the dissent actually questioned whether the blue and gold principle remains valid at all due to intervening Supreme Court precedents. The original 2007 decision promulgating the blue and gold rule analogized to the equitable defense of latches, which can substitute as a functional statute of limitations when someone sits on their rights for too long and has been applied by the federal circuit in the patent context where patentees bring damages actions against infringers. In the intervening years, the Supreme Court, however, has actually cut back on the availability of the latches defense in that patent context that the federal circuit was analogizing to in blue and gold, leading Judge Reyna to question whether or not blue and gold actually remains valid. It's an interesting question that may lead to further litigation but for now, blue and gold remains valid and needs to be a consideration. Yeah, I suppose that is probably the real consideration, the real takeaway from this case, that anytime you're aware of information that could give rise to a protest, uh, especially something that would affect either in the solicitation terms or affecting the ground rules of the procurements and the ground rules against which offers are competing, you're going to have to be careful and think about whether that needs to be protested in advance, either before proposal submission or before award and just really take that into consideration. These are obviously tricky questions, so you may need to end up consulting counsel on them just to be sure, because you don't want to end up in a situation here where you've gone through through the procurement, through a GAO protest, through a Court of Federal Claims protest, only to be told that you were too late all along. So great to highlight this decision, and Liam, thank you very much for walking us through it. We'll be sure to keep an eye out, and if there are further developments in this or in other areas, and we'll keep you abreast. But until next time, everyone, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.